Hi, this is David Leet from Leet's Culinaria with another podcast in our Author's Answer series. Lynn Rosetta Casper, award-winning author of three cookbooks, including the classic The Splendid Table, and also the host of the popular radio program of the same name, teamed up with Sally Swift, her producer of 14 years, to write The Splendid Table's How to Eat Supper, Recipes, Stories, and Opinions from Public Radio's award-winning food show. Lynn, Sally, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, David. Tell me, where in the world are you? I'm not even sure. We are in St. Paul, Minnesota. Ah, so you're back home. We're back home, and we're in our usual studio, Studio 4B on the fourth floor of American Public Media. Great. How is the tour going? I'm surviving. (laughs) (laughs) Sally hasn't hasn't been out yet. I head out next week, so it's my inaugural. So it'll be your first time out. It's my first time. I had my first book signing, which was quite surreal, I have to say. Was it? Yeah, it was crazy. What made it surreal? Um, I have really bad handwriting, so I had to really worry about how many words I was going to write. And um, you know that funny thing that happens when you, you know, you do so much keyboarding. I my hand doesn't work as well anymore. I have that writing. happen. Yes, this is the funniest thing. I kind of got out of practice. Did you get that feeling? Because I thought you were maybe. I always. I mean, now three books, like I always. But with three books, suddenly you're looking at this thing and you're saying. I don't remember having anything to do with this. What am I doing signing this? It's that. There's such I don't a long know, David, dis- have you seen this too? I mean, it's just this sense of, I think I have to make friends with it all over again. Yeah. It's got a life of its own. It There's does. No doubt. Yeah. As we start jumping into the, the questions about the book, I wanted to step back first, though, and I want to talk about the show, The Splendid Table, which you're the host of, Lynn. And mm-hmm. I'd like you to tell me, how has food changed over the course of the show since you started until now, because obviously that's impacted the book since the book is based on the show. I think it's changed immensely. The The show went national in 1995. Mm-hmm. And in the years between then and now, I mean, we've seen this explosion of diverse interests in food in this country. Um, it, it, I think back in 1995, we were concerned about health. We were concerned about whether or not we were cooking and all of that. But but I think now, I mean, food's become entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become satire. It has, it has become white noise. I mean, when you think about you know, people come home from work, they flip on the television, and it's either the Food Channel or the Discovery or whatever it is, and it's food shows. But it's also become something that I think is almost far more intellectual than it was in the past. If you think about the books that have gained popularity, uh, I mean, a book on the history of cod on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The series of books that Dr. Marion Nessel has done on uh, safe food, Mm -hmm. uh, what to eat, uh, food politics. These books have sold not just to a particular audience that's engaged in those subjects, but to people who are out there shopping the supermarket every week uh-huh. and are puzzled. I think we're frightened. I think we're puzzled. I think we're entertained. I think we're intrigued. Um, you know, it's also, I think America has finally embraced, I think we're finally old enough to have really started to embrace a food culture of our own. You know, it's not... The American you know, food we culture. Offer, the American food culture. I think mm-hmm. we're finally claiming it as our own. And I think it's not that we have been fools about it. I think we've simply not been old enough. And we are finally at that point where we're really um, finding our cuisine. Now, do and you I, know? Think that's, I think that's really happened in the last 10 or 15 years. 
Well, I think you're right, Sally. And I think, you know, we used to apologize because we weren't Europe or we weren't China. Yes. And I don't think we do that anymore, which I think is great. Guess what? We're Europe and we're China. <laughs> <laughs> and, we're, and we're Thailand and we're Iceland and we're New Zealand and we're everything else. Now, I'm curious because, Lynn, you're talking about all these things that have changed since the Splendid Table, the show, began. Do you think we're more confused, less confused about food? <laughs> I think we're more confused. I agree. I think we're I think more and more having some knowledge of food. I'm I'm not saying cooking, okay? Mm-hmm. Some knowledge of food in our culture now is just part of being smart. Mm-hmm. So it's intriguing us in that way. It's drawing us in in that way. I think we're confused as all get out about it. I think at times we're frightened by it. Yeah. But I don't I mean, have you can you remember a time when we have been more engaged in where our food comes from, how it's grown, how it gets to us? Uh, those three words, local, organic, sustainable, are now terribly trendy. Which is part of well, your manifesto 19... in the book. Well, yeah. But, I mean, in 1995, you were talking about a very small percentage of the population that probably wore Birkenstocks and, and, and people looked upon them as odd folk. Right. And so, you know, but no longer. That is, this is becoming almost a way of life. Lynn, what's interesting is when I heard you were putting a cookbook out, my first thing was, oh, it's going to be an Italian cookbook. And then when I heard what it was, I was a bit surprised. So <laughs> Thank God. Who needs another Italian cookbook, frankly? <laughs> Lynn, you kind of – that one, you've, the coffin, the nails in the coffin on that one. So why the change? Oh, because – well, first of all, part of the change is that we we looked at this this whole experience we've had over these years and said we want to find some way to put it between covers. It is about the diversity of what foods, food is today and mm-hmm. about how we've become kind of a nation of grown-ups about food. Uh, the other thing is we're not cooking the way we ever did years ago. But personally, for me, this is sort of taking me back to where I started. Because I That's started right. out in the late 60s in New York City. First of all, I started out teaching Chinese cooking. I read that. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, is I make no claims of being a great expert in that area, but that's where I began. And um, and I had taught cooking and investigated food from every imaginable angle for years before I fell in love with this region in Italy that became the subject of Splendid Table. And then from there, Country Table, which is looking at, at the food, essentially rustic life throughout Italy and the history of rustic life, That's right. kind of grew out of that. But the show has given me a chance to go out and play back in the playground where I began. Well, and you, you wouldn't do another book on Italy, would you? No, Not no. unless we pulled all of your fingernails and toenails out? Is uh, that... No, because, <laughs> because, no, because, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, think about the way this book began, Sally. I mean, the dream we had was it was going to be a piece right, of cake. Right, it was done work. It was done work. We already had the great recipes from a newsletter. Uh, we had the the interviews and the you know the all the bits and pieces that oh, we the naive to thinking of writers oh, oh we were naive yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> lynn has no excuse for that naivete i have to say yeah, yeah. sally and you do but. i was totally naive <laughs> <laughs> and i let her down the garden path and said this is going to be a snap <laughs> and then lynn talking about your background that like you've done many things including teaching chinese cooking there's a real ethnic influence in the book from mexican and asia and other places where did that arise Oh, 
That came from the way I cook every day and the way Sally cooks every day. Our refrigerators. Yeah, our refrigerators. I mean, I have more condiments in my refrigerator. (laughs) I mean, probably than almost anything else. I, I can't live without tamarind paste. And you see, David, it's always been this way. But I never felt I had enough authority. I mean, I don't – I always was sort of torn about the fact that I'm fascinated by so many different cuisines. There's a little string of schizophrenia, I think, that runs in the family. But <laughs> I was fascinated by these things, but I knew enough to know that an expert I was not. But this is the way we both cook night to night when you do give yourself permission to say, this will not be an authentic vindaloo. Mm-hmm. But I am really in the mood for some of those flavors. And oh, what's in the refrigerator? Oh, golly, one chicken thigh. Let's see what I can do with that. So, and a thing of yogurt. You know, well, now I'm going to make a curry. Lynn, you raise a really good point. And it's so funny to hear that you, after all these years, still share this with very young writers and new writers, is a sense of not feeling like an authority or feeling you have the permission to be able to write something <laughs> unless you have been... Um, cleared by the CIA and the FBI when it comes to everything with food. I know that when I write anything on Portugal, and I've been researching Portugal for a decade, I still feel I don't have the authority. I still feel I'm not an expert on it. So how do you reconcile that? Where did you finally shut the door on, I am not going to be a world expert, and I'm going to be the person who's writing a book about how I cook? Well, I think I owe that to Sally in some ways. How? And oh, not, no. No, 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 no. But follow me on this. We've never really talked about this. In doing the show, okay, the show, initially we had a lot of trouble figuring out where was I on the show. I mean, I was the host of the show, but obviously I had some experience in food. Yeah, it was really hard. Lynn often knew more than many of our guests about uh, the subject we were talking about. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, figuring out that place for her was, was an odd place. But you, the beauty of and me as a producer – trying to pull in out and this does relate to actually why you think you could be an expert in something is that you have a you have the um, depth to have a point of view which mm-hmm. y- you know which is not which is a different thing than being an expert but you are an educated enough in a broad enough scale that you get to do that. That's what people want to hear. They want to hear what your take on these things are and that's a different place. That's, that is something that came out of the radio show. You and that's a I good mean? point. Yes, and actually, because the subtitle is Recipe Stories and Opinions. Right. Yeah. And that's a very good distinction because I think a lot of people suffer under the weight of wanting to be or needing to be an expert to be able to write something. And I think that's interesting. It's a good division. Uh, certainly helps me as a writer. Yeah, it's I, a gift too because guess what? You get to be you get to be your your who you really are and that you're curious about something and you have questions about something. I mean, that's actually quite a lovely thing to read about, I think, because it's very forgiving and it's very opening. Um, It's exactly what you want people to feel about food. Yes. And that's what we've worked to do with the show. But you see what I'm saying. It it had to come. She had the point of view in some ways. I had to come to it kind of in my gut. But it 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 was that because I you know I I think all of us anybody you pick what you do for with your life. Mm-hmm. We all know what intimidation is. We all know that you see the work of others in certain areas that relate to what you do, and you say, oh, Absolutely. I will never be able to achieve that level of expertise or creativity or whatever. Yes. And maybe that's part of the whole thing that you can appreciate all of that. Yeah, I that, know that when I look at other people who have expertise in areas that are tiny subsets of what I'm studying, 
and I've let them read something or let them uh, or question them, I'm, I'm baffled by how much they might know about cinnamon like with Michael Crondall when I interviewed mm-hmm. him. And I go, I can never, ever put that much information in four lines about cinnamon. Right. But it's yeah. amazing how yeah. much someone knows. And it, there comes a point I find as an author and as, or as a writer that you have to let go of that weight and write from what you know and mm-hmm. the experience that you have and, like you say, Lynn, your opinion. Otherwise, we just well, become and the beauty scholars. Of, yeah. The beauty of knowing enough to know who you should be reading about a subject, mm-hmm. that's an enormous that's – a, that's a gift. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. to know that, yes. you know, when I have a question about Middle Eastern cuisine, who am I going to go to? I'm going to go to Claudia Roden. Exactly. I'm going to go to Paula Wolfert. I mean, that's the, that's the really wonderful thing. To know enough to know what you don't know is a really wonderful place to walk this world, I think. That's a great and, statement. And, and, you know, the other piece of it, too, I think, is is to also always leave room. Leave room for the fact you're not making the pronouncement. You know, the thing when I was writing Splendid Table and I had 10 years of research and I knew what I didn't know, I had a real inkling. And my editor kept saying, if you wait until you know it all, you will write this book from the grave. The formidable Maria Guanaschelli. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, the, probably the most demanding editor that has drawn breath since Maxwell Perkins <laughs> left this earth. But a brilliant woman. And she was right. I mean, there's a point where all of us say, I'm going to fly my kite and you'll tell me if I got it wrong or not. But yeah. I, this is where I'm at right now. It's an ongoing process. I think that's going to be very helpful to a lot of our readers and listeners. Now, going back to the book, because um, we keep on going, it's taking us into many different directions. I think it says a lot about the book. <laughs> Good. That's exactly what that book's supposed to do. Is yeah. I really like your shopper's manifesto where you talk about organic and sustainable <laughs> and local and plus your essentials on equipment, which I think is terrific. Why did you choose to include those? Oh, we're teachers. Mm-hmm. Right, Sally? Well, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't, I wouldn't give me you the, are. I wouldn't give me you the royal we with that one. <laughs> no, no, no. We you are. know, but it is based very much on, you know, the questions that we get again and again. I mean, it's surprising, how, you know, the number of calls, you know, the calls again and again. What am I buying for equipment or um, what should I stock my pantry with? I mean, mm-hmm. they're just some really basic um, benchmarks for people to be comfortable cooking. And I think one of the really brilliant things that Lynn came up with in the book was to, you know, figuring out what are the pieces you should invest in by looking at what shows up in your kitchen sink again and again and again. I thought that was a really brilliant (laughs) way to look at it. And of course, you know what, if you use, um, you know, your chef knife every single night, guess what? Go spend some money and get yourself a good one. That's absolutely the right way to do it instead of going in and buying a, you know, a big set of something and and not having what you love. I thought that was a really smart, that was really smart, Lynn. Thank you. I, I'm, thank you. I had a moment. <laughs> and she had a moment. I have to tell you, though, she had a moment. You've, I mean, the flip side of this, Sally's Garlic Rock. You know, it's a little sidebar. Right. And this is about equipment as well, and it's a really interesting take. Why don't you explain Sally's side? Sally's I don't know why you like that so much. I, I adore it so... because you can, anybody can walk out and find one of these things, and it opens your eyes that you don't need a veal pounder, you don't need, you know. And it's going back to the Stone Age. I mean, let's do it. Literally. Yeah, got it. I mean, the best part of having a rock in your kitchen is taking out the dishwasher, frankly. It's always fun. You always smile mm-hmm. when you're unloading the dishwasher and popping it in the knife drawer, which is why I keep mine. So I, I have a rock because I'm sometimes uncomfortable smashing a clove of garlic with the side of a chef's knife, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel sometimes wobbly to me. So I um, 
picked up a rock one day that fit my hand very, very well and is flat on one side, and it's my all-purpose pounder. That's I a beat, great idea. I beat many kitchen things with it. It works quite well. <laughs> and when people say she's got rocks in her suitcase, it's because she's planning on cooking wherever she's heading. <laughs> there she goes, you know? right? But to extrapolate on the just on the concept of stone in the kitchen, the the unexpected things that you don't consider. For instance, one of the best ways to set out cheese that I can think of is on a a, a slate tile, yeah, which cost me two bucks at the tile store. Interesting. And I put it in the dishwasher. You know, it looks lovely. It has great texture. It cleans up beautifully, and I can put anything I want on that. And it, nobody expects it, and it's just great. That's so the rock idea. Nice. Why not? Sally, keeping in line with this garlic rock, uh, talk a bit about the cook-to-cook tips that are sprinkled throughout the book and also the building the library bits and the quotes, too. I love the quotes. Yeah, the quotes, let, let, me, let, me, um, let me start with the quotes. The quotes are, are really straight out of the show. I mean, every week we close the show with the quotes. We've really kind of gone through right. and picked our favorites. Um, the sassier, the better for both of us, frankly. Um, when we first started thinking about writing this book, we really wanted to um, have this very spare, very almost childlike um, kids-lit book that you could just look at quickly and see exactly what you needed to do and and you know have some sense of where you're going just by the visuals of it. And then, of course, we turn in a ridiculously long manuscript <laughs> that had nothing to do with the design we were thinking of, but realized that we could pull out of much of the instruction for the recipe and pull out little pieces that are going to give you, it relates to the recipe, but it's also something bigger. There's a, there's a, there's a bigger sense to it all that um, I think worked pretty well in the book. I think in design-wise it worked, it worked um, darn well. We were lucky with our designer. It's a, I'm very happy with the book. Who was the designer, by the way? The book was designed by Wayne Wolf. He has a company called Blue Cup Design, and it's quite lovely, I have it's to say. It's a beautiful design. It's very Thank nicely you. integrated. We had nothing to do with it. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh. oh, we're very pleased. But my favorite part, I'm glad you asked about the um, um, building a library because that, I have to say, was my favorite, absolutely favorite part of doing the book was really thinking about those books that we have both absolutely depend on, that are many of them are old, out of print, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in something, it's a really great, it's a great, great way to dig in. Um, we had fun doing those books. We really did. And we really, I mean, we had fun talking about them because in some places we list our favorite vegetarian we argued books. argued about them. And, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this, if I recall, was Sally's idea. It's this a great idea. brilliance. Because when you put them all together, when you read the book, you have quite a list. You do have quite a list. And it's like those lovely, you know, Oprah, Oprah's Magazine does it. I love those ridiculous, you know, one pages of what you're reading, whoever it may be, you yeah. know. Right. And I love those pages because there's always something there I've missed and something I need to know. And, you know, rip them out and stack them up. Well, and then re- these you can't rip out. Related yeah. to rip that, out. I find interesting is that the book has a lot of information from other people, from other books. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. recipes from other people. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, right. our guests. Your guests. So, how did that work into the whole concept of the book? We have a number of people that we have worked with from the very beginning that were very loyal. That we both think are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jenkins, um, yes. Joshua Wesson, Sally Schneider, John Willoughby. John Willoughby. I mean, Dory some Greenspan. people that have Dory Greenspan, yeah. um, Jerry Tronfeld. There have been some really major, major people for us, and. Um, the recipes in particular, these were recipes that we ha- both have dug into and used 
constant. Yeah. So they were real backbones for us. So these, the, 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 it just made sense for us to include them because it was it is about the show. This book isn't about Lynn and my point of view. It's about the two of us. It's about the two Jennifer's point of view. It's about our listeners. It seemed mm-hmm. like a lovely way to do it. Yeah, I think it's very egalitarian and very democratic, but at the same time, I think your voice is very present. Both of your voices are very present in the book, which I think really anchors the book while you go off in different tangents with some of the other authors and some of the other writers. I think well, tangents nice. would be the word. There's no yeah. doubt about it, David. Yeah. <laughs> the show, but that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about what's happened to food in this country because essentially it's this tremendous variety of people that we've had the opportunity to talk to and learn from. Mm-hmm. Over the years that we wanted to bring to the pages of the book because it is about the state of food today. So you've got, you know, the man who tasted shapes looking at this this thing called synesthesia, which is essentially – Sally, you do it better than I. You have that sentence to describe synesthesia. And I always want to say the, our it's nerves. It's linked senses. That's so it. You, That's it. Yeah. It's very, very common for musicians to see colors, mm-hmm. people to hear color, see colors when they um, listen to music. Interesting. That's a really common one. And this one that we write about is about this really wacky, I just absolutely love it, a man yeah. who absolutely, ah. when he tastes something, he actually feels in front of him. His hands go out in front of him and he feels shapes. Wow. Which is pretty amazing. I know, isn't that wild? It's I'm just jealous. Incredible. I'm t- I'm completely envious. And he, t- in the story, in the the interview that we did with this um, wonderful neurologist, Richard Saitoic, talks about how synesthetes are shocked to find out that the rest of the world don't feel things in the same way. That's which interesting. Which is, I do feel left out now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. He would he the he t- um, in the book he talks about. Chocolate mint pie, feeling like smooth glass columns in front of him, and his hands go out to feel them. I mean, Too my bad. God, imagine wow. that. What it a must rich be life awfully difficult be. to dine with him in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but imagine him sharing that vision. Yeah. That's beautiful. What I a... bet it would get a little tiring. I'd have to say being married to that might be a little tough after a while. <laughs> I don't want to live with the guy, but I wouldn't mind going out to eat with him. <laughs> <laughs> now, since a lot of our readers and listeners are writers themselves. Uh, I want to talk a bit about the process of writing. Now, uh, Sally, you told me in an email that it was akin to giving birth and actually was probably harder than giving birth to your child. (laughs) So um, what I'd like to ask you first is what was it like to co-author a book? And tell me about your really big, your one very big fight. Okay. You talk about the co-authoring since I've never done it before. It doesn't really matter how I feel about it. <laughs> oh, it does matter how you feel about it. I guess for me, two things led to it. Number one, if we were going to do a book about the show, mm-hmm. Sally and I created this concept together. And we have uh, Jennifer Lubke, Jennifer Russell, Judy Graham, who are – part of making this show happen and all the things that are attached to it. And it's our shared points of view, shared discovery, shared opinions. Mm -hmm. But I could no more imagine doing a book about the show and as I thought about it, not having Sally be part of it. And the other piece of it was that, quite frankly, we were in full production during the whole time we wrote the book. Yeah, which is hard. And working in two made it a lot easier because there was just so much work. But but what it came out of, David, because I've never written with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, you, I was really concerned it would really perhaps ruin the relationship. She still likes me. 
Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> there were moments I wanted to kill her, but I know that they were perfectly mutual. Well, it's got to um, be hard because I mean, even it's a relationship, any kind of relationship. And I know in my personal relationship, relationship took me seven years to be comfortable with someone else wanting to share my space. So I can't imagine someone wanting to share my page. I can. The thought just. Yeah, yeah. You it, know what? From it was a breeze. From overall, my, from it was really overall, insanely yeah. easy. So, yeah. what was the big fight um, about? We had a big fight in the um, doing food photography, and guess what? Guess what it was about? What? Pasta. <laughs> well, it was really, I think, about of course, all it the was moments so... we had swallowed hard, and then they all came out over. No, honey, tell the story. it was about tell the, the red sauce on the pasta. No, it was just one of those crazy. We're late. <laughs> I'm watching the clock. I don't want to go into over. I'm in the producer mode. I don't want to go into overtime. And of course, we, it's pasta. I mean, what could be possibly be more emotional for Lynn? I mean, <laughs> right. there was just no way. Ever said no way we were going to win in this situation. She wanted to over sauce it, David. No, you wanted to over sauce it. <laughs> I rinsed I... it off. <laughs> oh Lord, I must have been delusional. Yeah, it was oh, a Lord. it was a funny it was a funny moment, but not bad. I mean, we really that was pretty much our worst. Um, I did cut the tip of my finger off toward the end of <laughs> toward the toward the end of testing. Interesting. Um, now, did you guys do your own food styling, or did you have a food no, stylist? No, God, no. No, we no. would have killed each other then. We would have. Yeah. yeah. No, Carmen. Carmen, whose last name has just dropped out of Bonilla. the back. Bonilla. Thank you. Bonilla did a great job in Meta. Um, Nielsen. <laughs> Nielsen was the photographer, and they were great. Talk about patient. Yeah, I can't imagine doing your own food photography. It would yeah. be. No, just be yeah. the end of it. Yeah, Deadly. I think James Peterson has to have death wish. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. How he yeah. shoots yeah. all of his stuff, 400 photographs sometimes for a book. It's yeah, beyond it's crazy. me. Yeah. Beyond me. You know, the other funny thing about Lynn and I writing together is um, we're both Italian and we both start out Lynn has to type. That's the other thing. She has to be in control of the keyboard. <laughs> but so we end up sitting next to each other and about, mm, I'd say about 22, 23 minutes in, we're both leaning against each other. We're both total touching the whole, <laughs> both of our sides. We're both kind of propped up against each other, leaning. That's a great and, image. And, and the Glued. Fun. It is. It was pretty great. And hands. Hands on the screen all the time. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, one of my images of the two of us running together is me typing away and, and Sally with her the... hands on the screen saying, "This, move this, move this. No, no, no. That's not working. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that hand. It's the Italian thing. We both we both do that. It's our whole bodies are involved in it. And the testing. I mean, we, we both tested ruthlessly and and tested each other and periodically you know you'd get a, a note or an, uh, something i had handed sound and she'd say this was awful yeah. <laughs> yes i know that one yeah you know, absolutely yeah i mean everybody says oh boy it must be so easy it's so, so much fun yeah 10 test number 10 made me think <clears throat> maybe this was not really meant to be yeah i absolutely <laughs> Understand that I have one cake that I worked on took thirteen tries to oh, get it right. The worst. Oh, just, just yeah. It, it, there are some things that are not meant to be. Absolutely. You just finally you just get to the point where you're. This is not going to be in the book. I'm happy That's to right. drop yeah. this out. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. It's going to be one less recipe in this chapter. One other thing that was one of our downfalls, I think, and and perhaps got got us both a tad warm under the collar, was that we both kept coming up with new recipes. So when we thought we were frozen and we had it all done, we kept making more work for each other. And we would switch back and forth with the role of, we cannot do Stop this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no more. And every once in a while, one got impatient with the other, but usually we ended up and figuring it out. And now it's perfect. 
It's the perfect mix. <laughs> who was your editor? Well, or who is your editor? Pam Krause. Pam Krause. Pam Krause. At Clarkson right. Potter. Potter. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you were substitute, when you were adding more recipes, and were you taking other ones out and putting them in, or you just were adding them to the no, pile? we were adding. Yeah, initially. we were adding. Oh. Yeah. Well, you have to see what you've got. You know, well, my you don't is, know. That's the other thing yeah. is you just don't know until you're really in know, the middle of it. Yeah. And yeah. then as you were going through, this is something that I think our readers and listeners will be very interested in. Does the editor, the publishing house, say, you know what, these five, eight, ten, twelve recipes don't work? Let's take them out, and I need something else in its place. Pam was really wonderfully democratic about that, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why. She seemed to trust us, which was a little shocking. <laughs> but she would, She had some pretty broad parameters. She, yeah. didn't, she was pretty great about it. You know, a lot of editors want to see what's, what your vision is. Yes. And then react. And, 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 and by the way, the beauty of the book, much of that we owe to Pam because Pam was the one who found the designer, and Pam was the one. We had long discussions about this in the very, very beginning, um, and I was so surprised to see how much she had listened and yet made it far better than we could have ever dreamed it to be. That's the sign of a great editor. And, <clears throat> yeah, it really it, it is. And the other thing was that she did wait to see it all and then had, in some cases, very strong suggestions. In most cases, pretty much... Guided, nudged, but didn't... Fixed it with design, would one say? Uh, I hate to admit (laughs) it, but yeah, maybe just a tad around the edges. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. And how long did it take you from the time you sent in your proposal to the time you finished the manuscript? Three? I think three three years, yeah. Three years. Three years. Wow. Yeah. Sally moved in with us on and off. I did move in on and off during testing. You know, it, um, and, you know, I think that's abnormal. It's just that we had this little weekly show to do. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in between (laughs) it all. It just takes time. Exactly. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's a gracious amount of time. That's marvelous. So, Lynn and or Sally, tell me your difference in approach to the book. How did you both attack it? Well, I had no idea what I was doing, so I didn't really have an attack. You know, I was just following along, and I was lucky enough to be with this, you know, master mm-hmm. um, <laughs> pulling me. I mean, truly, you know, yeah. I mean, who, well, would, who would have an opportunity like this, Lynn? I mean, this is a very generous thing to do to include me in on this. So um, I was really, um, I mean, I had very, I have very strong feelings about food and what excites me about food and what I like to cook, mm-hmm. and um, I've been, I've been around it long enough in the show and worked enough on it that I knew what made a, a recipe good and what didn't. And I also, for me, the big hook for this book was the stuff that I go, I always know when I've done a good segment, a good recording, all of us do, when we go home, we go, oh my God, I've got to make that. Mm-hmm. You know, when, we, when, yeah. we, when we've met, when we've interviewed someone who or takes something away um, from it that you remember the rest of your life. For instance, Steve Jenkins. This was probably 12 years ago. This one piece that he told us on the show about spring milk that I had never really thought about before. And I'm how different the quality of that milk is after those animals have been in, you know, eating silage all winter and then go out into the fresh grass. Fresh grass yeah. and what that milk would taste like and mm-hmm. why those fresh cheeses taste the way they do. That, that was an absolutely turning point for me that uh, those are the things that I knew I wanted to th- that was the approach I really wanted in the book those are really important moments for me yeah interesting yeah. I, I think for me I, I guess because I think back to where we first met David which was at the food writers conference right. that Tony Lakert does 
Right. And um, we always have a writing, a writing doctor do a presentation at this. And I remember one of the first things he did, and I was really leery because I had taken some writing courses. And the thing that always made me just crazy and I was convinced I could never write was I couldn't do a real outline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could do one, but I never knew what my topic sentence was. Right. I never knew what I was writing about. And I always felt that was my lack. I wasn't a writer. And the first thing I remember him saying was, the most important thing is to acknowledge, first of all, no two people write exactly the same way. Everybody finds their way differently. And, and, but you have to let your editor know how you work so that when your editor in a newspaper says, Very okay, what's your lead – you know you can say, you know what, you're going to have a great lead, but I'm not going to know it until I write it, and it may be in paragraph eight. And the way I work is, it's as though I have to throw up all the pieces of the puzzle around me. I'm identical. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and then I have to find my way. I have to see all the possibilities. And Sally, this I don't know if you ever realized this about yourself. You've told me this. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. Yeah, but it's so interesting because Sally has this straight line. Because I'm a producer. I'm used yeah, to yeah. coming up with a segment idea. You know, yeah. I'm used to what's the hook and let's build around it. Yeah. And I, I, I may have the idea, but the other thing is I'm going to say, oh, no, 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 wait, before, before it's the idea, <laughs> I want to know, you know, how did this idea play during biblical times? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way, Lynn. I need to just kind of throw it all up on the page and see what I've got and – then I kind of go, yeah. yeah, then I kind of, it's like playing with pieces of a puzzle. It's, it's exactly what it's like. And, and thank God they have computers that can cut and paste because without that, I could never <sighs> be a writer. On a typewriter, yeah. I would never write. And But I, I agree with you completely. So it's very interesting you have kind of left brain, right brain working together on the same yeah, book. Yeah, we do. We do. And it was, it, and it's sometimes, sometimes I think it was difficult, but at other times it was dynamite because she, you could you could look at something and say, Wait, isn't that isn't mm-hmm. that it? Isn't that what we're really trying to say? And then it started as it as we move forward. It mm-hmm. re- I mean there were times when we were just literally finishing each other's sentences. We were just taking turns and we couldn't get the words on the page fast enough. And and you know sometimes when you know the angels are on your shoulder and you're saying the greatest truth in the world to right. come back the next morning, thank God you haven't sent it to anybody <laughs> exactly. because you want to throw up. It's the worst writing you've Absolutely. ever seen. But a lot of times when we did this together, and the angels, I think, might have been kind of in the room, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it was pretty good. It's great. Uh, I mean, it was that compliment, which was really – that was a great mm-hmm. gift in a lot of ways. So I'm curious because there's a chapter on pasta, and Lynn, I can only imagine that you must have some ownership over pasta – Coming from <laughs> what you've done and your just hair. a bit. <laughs> so, how was that writing a chapter that is so enculturated for you, so attached to your heritage? Either Lynn or Sally can answer that. Well, I actually have an observation about that because that was a really interesting chapter for us as we were laying out the recipes. Because at first, Lynn wanted almost no pasta, which you know, and we're talking about working, you know, what we eat midweek, you know, I mean, I eat pasta twice a week easily. And um, it was interesting the way that that morphed and watching your mind, Lynn, take that up, take apart all of that, those years of research and you narrowing it down to these couple things. And the pastas in the book are really, 
I think, are really interesting because they all represent different techniques yeah. and different yeah. styles. And I think it's a, I think it's actually quite an excellent primer on pasta in a very condensed form for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it was the condensing was hard. But the other thing that I then started once I got my head around it. I gave myself permission, and this is really what this book is about for me personally, you know, people thinking I'm going to do yet another Italian cookbook. This is like you've given Lynn permission to say, hey, you know what? This is what I make every night. And and, uh, there is one of the all-time best recipes for macaroni and cheese in that pasta. There's a Greek pasta. There is a Chinese pasta that goes back to my days, my Chinese cooking days, and there's a, I think, a kind of nice tribute to one of the great teaching books ever written on Chinese food, Gloria Blay Miller's Thousand Chinese Recipe oh, Cookbook. Yes, yes. She passed passed on recently and, and great loss. But at any rate, for me, the chapter went from, I don't want to do a pasta chapter, you know, because I'm so leery of, oh, my God, I'm going to do another dissertation, to, oh, wow, let's really have some fun with this, <laughs> which we did, which we did. Well, that's great. Well, Sally and Lynn, I want to thank you very much for talking to us, and I wish you the best of luck with the book, and um, I hope to talk to you soon. What a pleasure it's been. Thank you, David. David, thank you. This has just been great. Thank you. We've been speaking with Lynn Rosetto Casper and Sally Swift from Public Radio's award-winning food show, The Splendid Table, about their new book, The Splendid Table's How to Eat Supper, Recipes, Stories, and Opinions, in bookstores now. I'm David Leet from Leet's Culinaria. Thanks for listening. <laughs>